is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. How angry are you when something goes off in your fridge? You know, you didn't quite get round to eating it all or you didn't drink it all or suddenly, you know, half a litre of milk has gone bad on your watch. You've got to throw it out. How angry does that make you? Food waste makes me angry. Imagine tipping out 14,000 litres of milk. That's what some dairy farmers are doing. You're going to speak to one shortly who's had to do that due to the strikes that are taking place in the dairy industry at the moment. Uh, Workers at factories are on strike today and tomorrow from 3am yesterday. Saputo tanker drivers, which pick up a whole lot more than just Saputo milk in Gippsland, have been on strike too, forcing many to tip out their milk. We'll find out how much one farmer's tipping out and how much you know his neighbours are too today on the country. You can send us a text 0467 842 722. Right now, though, let's get some rural news. And, well, while we're talking big numbers, let's hear about this big fire. Emma Field's got those details for you. Hi, Emma. G'day, Warwick. Let's start rural news in the top end. There's hope in the Northern Territory that a mega fire that's been burning for nearly two months might finally be under control. Matt Bran reports. The fire in the Barkley has been going for 50 days. It has swept through several cattle stations and burnt 2.8 million hectares. On the weekend, authorities closed the Barclay Highway and conducted a major backburning operation that stretched more than 100 kilometres long in an effort to pull this fire up. The highway has now been reopened and authorities are hopeful that this blaze has finally been stopped. Cattle producers will have their fingers crossed. There is an extreme fire danger warning still in place today for the Barclay North and there's some other smaller fires in the region. Sadly for the Northern Territory, this Monster fire in the Barkley could be eclipsed by what is unfolding now in the Tenamai Desert. Several bushfires are burning out of control in the Tenamai. There's no resources being sent that way to fight them. And so these fires are just racing towards the WA border completely unchecked. And while fires continue to burn, it's been a very dry start to the wet season in northern Australia. And there is no big rains on the horizon, according to the Bureau of Meteorology forecaster, Angeline Prasad. It is going to be a later start to the wet season. So typically around northern and eastern Kimberley, we start to see rainfall. So uh, your diurnal thunderstorm activity that develop on the sea breeze. Um, uh, they tend to start uh, sometime in October. They become quite regular in early November. So we start to see widespread 50 millimetre, millimetre totals um, around northern and eastern Kimberley, usually around early November. Now, because of this drying uh, uh, effect of both the El Nino and the Indian Ocean dipole, this is likely to be shifted into mid to late November. A 32-kilometre gap in the wild dog fence along the New South Wales and South Australian border is alarming landholders, as wild dogs and other pests are able to freely move through this section. Posing as a major threat to livestock in the region and the mental wellbeing of landholders, calls are being made to complete this section of the fence before it's too late. Paul Martin from Mulga Valley Station is directly affected by the gap in the fence and says it needs to be fixed. Some of the things that they're listing is that they've, you know, they said they're working as hard as they possibly can to get the approvals and start construction. But they, they, they cite, they'll state that there are many factors and processes and jurisdictions which have to be consulted. And that may be the case. But they've had three years to get this process 
sorted out. Our livelihoods depend on this fence being constructed. So it's getting to the point now, Lily, where if we don't see some action, you know, it's going to be left up to landholders to take action themselves. And we don't have the money to just go and cough up for these sorts of materials and build it ourselves. But if things, if it comes to the point where people have to take matters into their own hands, I think that's going to be quite regrettable. A type of pest, seaweed, that has infested waters off Tasmania and Victoria as far west as Portland has now been found in South Australia for the first time. The wakami or Japanese kelp seaweed has been discovered at a couple of busy fishing ports and popular tourism spots, both at the Lake Butler Marina in Robe and the Cape Jaffa Marina near Kingston in the southeast. Wakami is listed as an Australian priority pest and is also regarded as noxious in South Australia under the Fisheries Management Act. PERSA Senior Biosecurity Officer for Invasive Species, Chloe McSkimming, explains what wakami is and how it might have got to South Australia. The primary introduction method for this species is via um, biofouling on vessels. So if a vessel had wakami on it and then moved to this area, it could potentially have spread that way. Um, it can spread naturally as well, um, but that's quite a, quite a far distance from Portland to Rogue through natural dispersal. So PERSA is developing and consulting on a response plan which includes different management options for Okami in South Australia. So we have met with other government departments and local councils to discuss the management options and we will be consulting with industry stakeholders on the plan as well. And that wraps up Rural News. Thanks very much for that, Emma. Emma Field there with Rural News. Gosh, those figures on that Barclay fire in the Northern Territory blow my mind. 50 days that fire had been burning, 2.8 million hectares. That That is a lot of land. Uh, you're listening to The Country Hour. It is 11 past 12. Let's go back to our coverage of the strike action in the dairy industry, which is continuing today. 48-hour strike has been called by uh, 1,400 workers at dairy, factor, dairy factories around the state run by four big dairy processors. Uh, that work at those factories has ground to a halt today. Alongside that, there is a strike of milk tanker drivers taking place as well. Uh, those are the milk tanker drivers that work for Saputo in Gippsland, but also pick up a lot of milk from other uh, companies as well. That strike, as we've been reporting to you, started 3am Tuesday morning and is uh, continuing, leaving a lot of farmers uh, finding, finding it difficult and in a mad scramble to work out if their milk is going to be picked up or not. Not all of those farmers have been lucky enough to have their milk picked up, like Justin Johnston, who's with you now at Bundalagua, is where Justin Dairy farms and has had to tip out milk. Justin, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me. What happened? What happened? What's happened to you? Um, well, I first found out about the strike happening on Saturday night on social media. Um, so I touched base with the field services officer on Sunday saying what was going to happen. And they weren't actually too sure. And then uh, they were supposed to find out on Monday afternoon uh, what was actually happening and who they were picking up. Um, they didn't find that out until 7 o'clock Monday night. So Monday night, Tuesday morning's milk, we had to tip down the drain, which was uh, about 14,000 litres. 14,000 litres? Yeah. So, and that's just because you didn't have any more room in your, in your vat? Or, or why did you have to tip um, that out? Yeah, we had to tip that out because we got to put um, like Tuesday nights milking in and we weren't sure if they were going to come pick milk up today either. Um, 
as of yet, they haven't picked it up, but we believe they're coming to pick it up. But uh, if they don't come by 3 o'clock, we'll have to uh, put that down the drain as well because we don't have the capacity to store it. So the clock's ticking now on whether you tip out another 14,000 litres of milk. Yeah, uh, funny as you say that, I'm sitting in my uh, driveway and the milk tanker is pulling out. Well, that's good news, Justin. (laughs) That's good to hear. Um, So, like, what does it feel like as a farmer? Your your job is to produce milk, right? So much of what you do is around creating this product. How does it feel when you have to open up the the vat and just tip out thousands of litres of milk? Uh, Feels stupidity that we're making a premium product for food in Australia and people are struggling to put food on the table with the current climate uh, the people are living in and we're just putting it straight down the drain. Makes no sense at all. What's it worth? What's 14,000 litres of milk worth? Uh, to us, about $10,000. That's that's a big uh, hit to your budget. Yeah, we're going to get paid, um, but that's going to, who knows where the money's going to come from yet. It could come from insurance of the milk companies if the insurance cover it or it comes from the bottom line of the milk company which indirectly the farmers pay for it because that's profit that they're not giving back to the farmers so you've had to tip out fourteen thousand litres do you know of many other farmers around bundalagua or elsewhere in gippsland have had to do the same i don't know of exact amounts um as the food i pick up acm um freshstein adfc bulla maybe a couple of others but it's been, I've been told it's hundreds of thousands of litres. That's significant, and the strike is continuing, so there may be more to add to that yet. Yeah. Um, the finish is tomorrow, tomorrow 3 a.m. or something like that, so depending if they come to agreement, it might go a bit longer. Who knows? Uh, and, and as far as the, the strike action that's going on between employees and the company, um, do you? How do you feel about being caught up in that? You're you're not at the negotiating table in any of this. No, we we didn't really know about it until, as I said on Saturday. Um, I've got a couple of friends that work for other milk companies, and they informed me that they they believe that the milk tanker drivers for Staputo and another milk company are paid very well, um, considerably more than the company that they work for. So they didn't really know why they were jumping up and down for a pay increase when they're already getting paid very well themselves. And you will get paid for your milk? You said that earlier. So so you believe you'll still get paid? Yeah, we'll definitely still get paid. Um, it's just a flow-on effect on where the actual money comes from. <laughs> so yeah, indirectly, the farmer will pay. So it'll be a cost to the farmer. And, and whilst this is going on, the tanker driver... Uh, strike is obviously the one that's affecting you and, and the loss of that 14,000 litres of milk. But there's also strikes going on at the factories as well. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the striking of workers at dairy factories? I don't really know what their terms and conditions are, so I probably shouldn't really comment on them. <laughs> so, I'm not, And also, I don't really know what they're striking about because we haven't been really informed of that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you better go and uh, make sure that milk gets picked up as the tanker driver comes into your property, Justin. But thank well, you very well, I've, much. I've for been told us. that he's a good driver today because he's a non-union worker, so he's uh, yeah. he's picking up our milk. As Tony Jones <laughs> says, we'll take that as a comment. Thanks, Justin. Cheers. Thank you, Justin Johnson. There, Bundalagua, who is a dairy farmer.
uh, that had to tip out 14,000 litres of milk uh, because of this strike action, uh, meaning the truck yesterday didn't pick up his milk from his farm. 0467-842-722 if you want to send us a text. Let's go to the industry at the moment uh, to find out who from the bodies representing dairy farmers, how they're feeling about this action going on and what it could mean more widely to dairy farmers. Rick Gladigo is the president of Australian Dairy Farmers, the national lobby group uh, in the dairy industry for farmers. You can join us now. Rick, welcome back to the country. Yeah, thanks for having me, Warwick. You've just heard a farmer saying he's had to tip out 14,000 litres and hundreds of thousands of litres are being tipped out or have been tipped out in Gippsland as a result of this strike action. What do you make of that? It's it's really sad to listen to it firsthand now, Warwick, to hear from a farmer and the stress that it places the farmers under. Is, you know, here he is sitting saying, is my milk going to get collected today or not? Do I have to tip more down the drain? Somehow someone's going to pay me, but I don't really know how. You know, it's just another pressure back onto the farmer, and and it, it's such a waste as as Justin highlighted in that in that interview to to think you're just tipping milk down the drain when you know at a time when we've got food security issues. We know we've had really had inquiries into that, but here we are producing a, a quality, nutritious product that uh, consumers are are after, and there's demand for it's a staple in the in their diets for their coffee in the mornings and here we are tipping it down the drain over and, and you know an issue between the processes and the, the unions so it, it's it's quite disappointing to hear it and you're also at a time in your industry where every drop of milk counts right you've been in an industry with falling supply over over many years and the the effort has been on to arrest that yeah exactly right and this just puts more pressure on it because the supermarkets etc they got, they want to have dairy on their shelf and if they can't get it from Australia, they're going to get it from somewhere else. As we've only just been talking about a couple of weeks ago of you know more New Zealand product coming in. So what this then leads to is you know if if we can't supply it as Australians for whatever reason, that they're going to source it from somewhere else, and that will just lead to possible more factory closures. This leads to more job losses. So and so the spiral goes down. So you know that's. We just need this sorted. We need to sort it, get it sorted now between the processes and the unions and, and uh, let's look after the industry. Do you respect the workers' rights to try and um, do what they can to get a, a better wage at a time when cost of living has gone up as well? I look, certainly understand it. You know, there is a cost of living pressures there uh, and certainly you know, that's the role of the unions to make sure they're looking after their members. But uh, the same hand is... This is coming also at a cost to the dairy industry. This is coming at a cost to to, to farming families who uh, they're up at all hours of the morning, hours of the night. They're they're proud of what they do as dairy farmers in producing such a quality product uh, for consumers. And and here we are going. Well, we don't even know if they're going to get paid for what they're producing now. So that just doesn't help the industry in one little bit. So Justin was confident he will get paid from his company, whether they're getting it on insurance or, or they're going to take the hit to the bottom line. Um, will all farmers get paid for the milk they have to, to tip? Well, that, that's the part we don't know. Um, you know I'm, I'm not that close to it as to how the processes are going to... If they are, will they uh, cover the farmers? And that's you know just another bit of stress on farmers to say, well... Am I going to get paid? You know, here he is tipping 14,000 litres down the drain. There's 10,000 bucks. You just don't 
want to do that, be doing that every day. No one can afford to do that either. So, so I really hope that, yes, the farmers better get paid for what they're producing. It's not a farmer issue. This is between the processors and the union. So let's make so sure the farmers do get covered if they need, do need to tip it out. But let's actually work on that. They don't have to tip it out and let's get it processed and let's get it on the shop shelf. Is it fair that dairy farmers are essentially the pawns here in a fight between a, a group of workers and the multinational companies that they work for? With the third party player in this one, Warwick, is uh, we're just the, the side bit to it that is that is doing the, the hard work from the morning to the night, uh, producing the quality product, and we've been caught up in an issue that we don't have control over. So, but it affects us. It affects us at the farm gate. It affects us on the ground. And uh, you know, as you said, it's putting. As you can see, it's putting stress on the farmers as well. Of, yeah, they wanting to, you know, they're doing the right thing. They're still producing the, the milk. I know my cows certainly don't don't decide. Oh well, there's a union strike. I'll I'll take the day off. They still produce milk. So, you know, let's let's get it sorted out. Is there a environmental issue to spilling so much milk on farms too? There will be a concern uh, if uh, if they've got to keep tipping milk down the drain, and that's exactly what we also don't want to see happen is uh, that environmental issue as well of of waste waste milk. Well, it's perfectly good milk getting tipped out. So, but uh, as I said, we know we want to see this, see it sorted and, um, and, uh, and let's get on with uh, supporting industry. You know, look back, you know, we've, we've seen fires, floods and and COVID, et cetera, and industry all pulled together and, uh, and kept that as an essential service, kept the, dairy on the shop shelves kept dairy on on the consumer's table and we want to continue that uh, now and so let's get this sorted and and, uh, let's get back to looking after the industry as as whole of industry. Rick Gladigo, thanks very much for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me Warwick. That's President of Australian Dairy Farmers and a South Australian Dairy Farmer, Rick Gladigo speaking to you there. 0467 842 722 is the text line if you'd like to be involved in the program, this one says unions have a destructive effect on Australian industry. Uh, it's about greed, using the everyday employees' puppets. They don't care about the third party's effect uh, that will be affected by these actions. Uh, shameful, says that text. Uh, uh, the taps being turned on at my exes on their milk tank, says Helen. Thank you for that. Uh, the farmers at the bottom of the barrel and always end up wearing the cost. Imagine if us farmers went on strike, says this text. And another one saying the proposed strike is exactly why there's no next to no manufacturing in Oz. Uh, just be happy you have a job, says Kimbo. I've changed a few words in your text there, Kimbo. Uh, but thank you for sending that through all the same. Zero four six seven eight four two. 722 if you want to send us a text here on the Country Hour. We'll move to something else just for a moment on the Country Hour. Let's talk about the value of farmland. Uh, funnily enough, off the, off the back of that, after years of strong growth, prices for farmland are slowing down and the number of properties hitting the market has slumped. Analysis by Rabobank, uh, by Rural Bank sorry, of uh, property transactions in the first half of the year show the volume of farmland sales has dropped to a 28-year low. Clint Jasper spoke with Senior Insights Manager Greg Cookle about why he thinks the market's hit an inflection point. Yeah, look, in the first half report, we've certainly seen uh, probably hit an inflection point in regards to land values after, as you rightly say, after a period of pretty significant growth over the last three to four years. So at a national level, 
we saw our values increase at 0.1% across the board. And obviously, most people will take farmland values as a longer-term trend at the same as when we saw some pretty uh, pretty rapid growth at the same time as now. When we're seeing some slowing growth, still need to look at it as a, as a long-term perspective, but certainly seeing some normalisation occur now after a, some, a pretty solid few years previously. I guess the big macro forces that we're seeing in the agricultural market at the moment, the coming El Nino and the drier conditions that brings, the lower commodity prices that we're seeing, and of course high interest rates are all playing into that. Yeah, look, we're starting to see that come through, particularly as you're you're rightly so, those three factors really do drive farmland values. And when we look at seasonal conditions, Probably that impact where it's already starting to see dry conditions through Queensland and North and New South Wales. That's obviously having some impact on appetite. From a commodity perspective, obviously that what we've seen in the red meat sector, um, particularly in wool prices over the last six to 12 months. From a commodity price index perspective, we've seen you know the commodity price come back 22% in the last uh, half and. 35% since its peak in June 22. So that's certainly starting to have an impact from there. Um, and then obviously interest rates, where interest rates grow coming up in the last 12 months, that is having an impact. So from a margin perspective, as we've seen those margins tighten, um, that has an impact. But then the reverse to that too, we're seeing also seeing um, some good seasonal conditions in some cropping areas and good grain prices are holding up. So that's telling a, a different story in some of those areas too where we're seeing values hold and in, in some places increase as well. So it's looking a little bit better for that cropping land than it is for the grazers? Yeah, certainly. It does seem to be a bit of a two-storey um, part to this. So those uh, cropping areas um, nationally where we've seen you know three to four good years um, people are in a pretty good um, solid financial position. The margins are still quite good and we're seeing grain prices holding up and, and as are um, heading into harvest and those areas where this year looks like it could be a good uh, harvest again. We're certainly seeing prices holding up and continuing to grow while there's still demand out there. But as mentioned, those uh, grazing areas where they're seeing that impact, particularly from a commodity price perspective, is uh, is having an impact on appetite. So that country that's either one or the other, um, cropping or grazing, we're certainly seeing a different story as opposed to an across-the-board story. What's going on on the seller side of the market? Because we've been seeing transaction volumes decrease over the past couple of rural bank reports, and this time you've found it's hit a 28-year low. Yeah, correct. It really has come back. And look, it, it is an interesting one to have a look at. And I think what we're seeing here is that really have to take into context the last three to four years and what's happened. And while prices have been high and you know, time's grown quite significantly, that's brought a lot of sellers into the market who may have had plans to sell in the next few years, but have decided, well, now it's got to be the best time um, for us to sell as opposed to maybe waiting a few years. So I think we saw while the demand was there, the, the supply was, was keeping up. Um, and then as we've, you know, probably a lot of those sellers that might have been future sellers have, have actually come onto the market and sold. And that combined with obviously a, a drop off in demand, we're seeing those numbers of willing sellers uh, drop back again. So I think there's just some of those natural cycles starting to come in. In the past, yep. we've seen a lot of the highest prices being paid in the market by those uh, family corporate structures um, looking to expand in their local area. Is that a trend that's still playing out? 
Yeah, it is. It's still those larger family corporate farms that have that have got the the appetite and the demand. Um, and look, a number of them have had um, made some pretty sizable purchases in the last few years. But there's a number there that are still quite keen, particularly in those cropping areas, to to grow. So they're still really driving that market. That's Greg Cookle, who's from Rural Bank, speaking there with Clint Jasper. Uh, more of your texts coming in at the moment. Uh, proud union member, we shouldn't blame the worker, but the international company owners provide livable wages and safe industry and strikes won't happen. Let the milk flow like the tears of the bootlickers, says that text as well. Uh, Warwick, I'm getting annoyed with hearing a one-sided report. I'll tell you who's paying for the milk. It's being subsidised by the workers, not company profits, says Glenn. Glenn, we have had four union voices on these strikes over the last two days. You can keep, go back and listen to that uh, if you'd like. Victorian Country Hour is podcasted every day. Uh, we've had one dairy farmer before today. So a couple of dairy voices uh, added to the mix as well. And we haven't been able to get a company on, but we've had many of their statements. And I went through all of that yesterday as well. So if you'd like to listen back to that, Victorian Country Hour, wherever you get your podcasts. Malcolm's on the line, 1300 977 Hi, Malcolm. Yeah, hi, Warwick. I, I shouldn't have to ring in. It should be the opposition leaders of uh, the National Party, the Liberal Party. They could bring in the essential services and force those truck drivers back to work because milk's essential service. They did it quite some years ago when the dairy farmers went on strike. They, they brought in essential services. So the, the National Party leader and the Liberal Party leader, they should be voicing their opinion. So they should be calling services. for it, but it'd be the government that would have to do that, wouldn't it? Exactly, exactly. But we've got such a pathetic opposition that the government's sitting back letting it happen. Malcolm, thank you very much for your comment. 1300 is the number if you'd like to call. That's Malcolm from Wangaratta talking to you there. Uh, plenty of other texts coming in. I'll actually get to those in a moment. I'm late for the news. Let's head to regional news headlines right now. Uh, weather after that as well. We'll also talk other issues like getting wine to China and some grain information as well. But before any of that, Emil Pavlich has regional news headlines for you. Good afternoon, Emil. G'day, Was Making regional news headlines. The Australian Energy Regulator has dismissed a challenge to Transgrid and AVP's Victoria to New South Wales Interconnector West project. The Moorable and Central Highlands Power Alliance challenged the VNI West project on nearly 10 grounds, calling for the design process to be redone. While the regulator did not hold up in favour of the alliance, it said in determination documents the alliance has a right to dispute the project as they have the potential to suffer a material and adverse impact. A bushfire is continuing to burn in Briagalong in Victoria's east weeks after it first started. The steep terrain the fire is burning on is making it extremely difficult to put out. While there is no threat to the community, authorities say this could change as the temperatures rise. A nurse in the northwest of Victoria says more needs to be done to improve palliative care in rural and regional Victoria as the state's population, population ages. Rather. New research by La Trobe University has also found that no tools were developed with rural palliative care nurses in mind and there were gaps in knowledge of managing pain opioids and emergency situations. This year's intergenerational report released by Treasurer Jim Chalmers forecast the number of Australians aged 85 and over will more than triple in the next 40 years. Palliative care nurse of 15 years Mel Livens from Sunraysia says she wants to see more 24-hour services that support terminally ill patients. 
And Wodonga Mayor Roy Ron Mildren rather says the Albury Wodonga Hospital Master Plan offers next to no details to the detriment of hospital staff and patients. The Master Plan was released to the public on Monday and sets out the framework for the expansion of the Albury Hospital site with the first stage to be completed in early 2024. The then New South Wales and Victorian Premiers announced the site's $558 million redevelopment on October 20, in October 2022. That's the latest in regional news headlines. Back to you, Warwick. Thanks very much for that, Emil. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Plenty of the text still coming in. Holy dooly, a very busy text line today. Brian says, workers are not the people who put up prices, but they're the people who wear the cost of outrageous price rises and have to strike because wages never follow cost of living, says Brian. Janine from Narina says, the tanker driver strike is causing so much unwanted stress and heartache for all dairy farmers and their families. We take pride in our cows and delivering a quality product to watch this go down the drain when so many people are struggling to to feed their families is devastating. Uh, why, oh, why do we have to suffer at the peak of the season because of this strike action, because of the union? I don't respect the members' rights to demand more when they're already on a good wicket. One question that remains unanswered is why do dairy farmers get caught up in this issue when we have no control? I, for one, will not be tooting as I drive past the camp set up at Saputa in Lee and Gatha as I do not support this action, says Janine. Get to more of your texts in a moment. I also have a text here on the weather. Harry wants to know if you can ask the weather person if if there is any rain event for central Victoria coming at all in the future. I love a text like that, Harry. I'm sure Brian McPherson likes that too, a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are you going, Warwick? Yeah, I'm good. A very wide blanket being cast for central Victoria, but we should start with today. No rain today, is there? No, blue skies uh, pretty much across the whole of the state today and um, for most of tomorrow as well. So warmish day, uh, getting up to 27 in Mildura, uh, 25 Horsham, 23 Bendigo and Chuka, 21 Albury, Wodonga, Wangaratta, 22 out in Gippsland and also 22 Warrnambool and Hamilton. And then a touch warmer again tomorrow with um, still relatively light northerly winds and uh, yeah, just a, a little bit warmer with generally cloud-free skies for most of tomorrow as well. And uh, I suppose as the as we work towards the weekend, is that really what we're looking at? Yeah, look, the uh, during the weekend we're expecting a, um, a low-pressure system to spin up in Bass Strait and um, move across there during the weekend and that'll bring a cooler change and uh, maybe some precipitation uh, to Victoria uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we might see some showers and maybe the odd storm poking into the southwest later on Friday, um, but really most of it's going to come over the weekend. Not an awful lot of rain with this one. Um, for the whole event, really, we're looking at uh, pretty remaining dry in the north of the ranges um, and then south of the ranges, generally generally only around the two mil mark and places like the uh, Bass Coast, Yarra Ranges, uh, Western Gippsland and the southwest of the state might get a little bit more, five to ten mils and a bit higher up in the um, those uh, Bass Coast uh, Yarra Ranges 
areas maybe 10 to 15, 10 to 20 mils there. So not an awful lot of rain coming with this. Um, the low pressure system seems to be a little bit closer to Tassie than Victoria. And that's been a pretty uncertain sort of picture, the weekend picture for the first few days of this week in our weather cross. Is that is that firming up now, that view that we miss most of the rain? Yeah, it is. Uh, look, these cutoff systems can be a bit tricky, like a little bit further north or a little bit further south um, can make a big difference, uh, but it's not really looking like um, the changes that we're seeing. They're pretty minor now in the movement of that the low in the models. Uh, so rainfall-wise, we're not really seeing much, even if they put the low a little bit further north, closer to us. Uh, maybe changes in the wind strength, so the chance of some fairly decent winds um, in the northerlies ahead of the the front coming through on the Saturday, but then in the westerlies on Saturday night and into Sunday, particularly around those southern parts of uh, the state and the exposed coastal areas. Uh, they're probably the things that we're a little less certain about at this stage. And I suppose then sort of next week, is there, there much to keep an eye on? Uh, look, after this system moves through, we go back under a high-pressure system. Um, so showers just clearing off relatively quickly on Monday and then fairly warm again on Tuesday and some more northerlies. Uh, later Tuesday, there's another front coming across. Um, and this one, it looks like uh, it's going to... It's a lot of uncertainty because we're getting into that sort of week or more out. Um, it looks like after this front goes through, we might end up in southerlies for a while, so cooler and more showery, so maybe a little bit more rain then. But, yeah, that's getting into the <laughs> the far distant future in terms of forecasting. So for Harry in central Victoria, what's his hope for, I suppose, a weekly rainfall total? Look, it's not looking that good, particularly um, if his part of central Victoria is the other side of the divide. Um, yeah, looking zero to zero to uh, two mils, I'd say, is um, what he's in for for the week. And Tim's down in the southwest of Victoria wanting to know the rain total for him as well. Can I get a personalised one for him? Yeah, depending exactly where he is. Um, if he's closer to the coast, maybe getting into the 5 to 10 mil mark, um, but further away from the coast, you're probably looking more at the 5 mil mark around there for the for the period up until um, Monday night. And warnings-wise, there's not much around warnings-wise for the next 24 hours or so, is there? No, the winds are relatively light. Um, obviously not a lot of rain, so the rivers are slowly going down. Um, we've still got the... The potential for the Murray at Barham to get up to moderate, so, you know, it'll only just get moderate uh, on the weekend um, as that water from the last rain event comes down. Um, and then we'll be watching the rivers over the uh, eastern parts of the the state with this uh, low-pressure system moving through and maybe the even if they're only little bits of rain, the rivers are still relatively high, might be enough to top them up to get them near minor again, but we'll be watching that pretty closely. Brilliant. Thanks very much for that, Bri. Not a problem. Brian McPherson there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through the full forecast and answering some of your questions there. It is 20 to 1 here on The Country Hour. work along with you. Actually, let's check a couple of texts just before we move on. We've been speaking about the strikes and how they're affecting dairy farmers today with 14,000 litres being tipped out by one dairy farmer. He says uh, hundreds of thousands of litres have been milked out, uh, has been tipped out in that dairy region due to the strikes. I've got a text here from a farmer saying big thanks to uh, the field services officer and his mechanic sidekick. 
for picking up our milk today. No thanks to the striking uh, drivers. This one says from John says farmers don't mind changing dairy companies for a better deal, but not caring about factory workers. Then says John, uh, hi was will the workers on strike take the deal that follows the milk price when the price is high. They get paid well when the price drops. Oh, wait, never mind, says this text message as well. And Tom saying, hi, Warwick, we should all know by now that unions are never to blame for anything that has a negative effect on the economy. Just ask them, they'll tell you, says Tom at Winslow. You can keep the text coming, 0467 842 722. We are going to talk liquid of a different kind right now, though. We'll talk wine. Despite hopes this year that crushing tariffs on Australian wine would be removed by China, growers are still locked out of their most lucrative market. In April, the federal government agreed to suspend its appeal to the WTO over Chinese government tariffs on Australian barley, with those tariffs eventually lifted. And whilst we're talking about that, we're hearing from many hopeful in the wine industry that they would also benefit from these negotiations and the cooling of trade tensions with China. Central Victorian wine grower Jody Marsh started receiving calls from Chinese buyers back then and importers who were registering their interest in exporting her wine again. But she told Eden Henninen that the phones have once again fallen silent. To be perfectly honest, Eden, it, it went very quiet. So we had a flurry of uh, interest from uh, China importers um, and also uh, other businesses in China around when we were talking about five or six months ago um, as a result of obviously media coverage, et cetera, around the potential tariffs being reduced at the end of this year with between China and Australia. Uh, shortly after that, it went dead quiet. And I think everybody's been kind of waiting for the end of the year to, to see whether or not these tariffs will be reduced. Um, and at this stage, there's no indication on when that might happen. It must have been quite deflating for you to kind of see that hype happen, that things might change. I know you exported quite a bit of wine to China. Did that kind of change your plans for the, for this year? Yeah, look, I think I think we've all learned that it's it's in, in China in particular, obviously it's not a democracy like uh, Australia and other countries are, that uh, anything can happen and uh, um, the government in China obviously can, can change their mind overnight and things can dramatically change for industries worldwide. So I, I think we, we, there's that optimism there that maybe something will change and the glory years in, in uh, for example, 2019, which saw our uh, largest exports to China and uh, you know the, the the investment that we made in in China was actually really starting to, to pay off. Um, we were hopeful that maybe uh, that we might be able to be, come back into that market and therefore start to enjoy those times again. But I think we're all still very very cautious. Um, it would certainly be great if it did open up again. We've seen a decline in the UK uh, for Australian wine. Um, predominantly driven by the, the pre-Brexit uh, type uh, purchases uh, and then also, of course, COVID uh, impacting uh, wine travelling overseas as well. And, and did you move into that market to the UK? Yes, that's exactly right. So we started over COVID, started to work with uh, the UK and we were seeing not, not dramatic, um, you know, anywhere near the sorts of uh, volume that we were doing in China, um, it typically takes you know five years at least in a market before you get some real traction. 
Um, but we did start to see some pallets dribbling out, which was really nice. Uh, and then that stopped. So we've, we haven't had any pallets basically go out this year to, to the UK. And have you found any other markets? So we, we've we've taken the opportunity uh, uh, with the Wine Australia US uh, market entry program. Um, so uh, they've uh, pulled together a program, and it's been uh, funded, helped to be funded through the Victorian wine industry as well. Um, so, uh, which is lovely. So we get a bit of a rebate on um, on the market entry program, and yeah. So we've we've basically targeted the USA uh, as an opportunity for us. Um, uh, but again, that's going to take some time to to take off. I'm I'm kind of hoping that the USA over the next five years, together with maybe China opening up again, that we will start to see some nice export volumes for us that might match what we were doing in '19 to to China alone. In the meantime, though, Australian industry isn't faring too well. I'm sure you've seen sales kind of drop off widespread in the industry. Yes, it's it's certainly been a really tough winter. Um, uh, it's it's hard to surmise exactly why that is. I mean, that there's obviously the cost of living, living for people uh, and their disposable inco- incomes are having an impact. And, and I guess uh, the, the move away from our higher end wines uh, to our um, earlier drinking wines, which are a little bit uh, cheaper, um, we've seen a, a shift in that way. Um, so perhaps that can be explained by the cost of living. Um, and has it that affected your plans moving forward? Um, would you perhaps consider reducing planting sizes or, or the, the volumes that you used to produce? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, Shiraz in particular. So we're, we're chatting as a family about um, grafting over some of our Shiraz uh, to um, a different variety for example, we are desperate for white wine and white wine uh, generally in Australia, uh, there's a huge demand for at the moment. You, you actually, it's even hard for us to buy white wine grapes um, for us to be able to uh, produce, you know, or increase our volumes of white wine. So um, it's certainly the red wine market that has suffered badly. Um, and that, again, was driven by the fact that China um, predominantly uh, imported Shiraz. Isn't that interesting, the idea that those calls even come from Chinese wine buyers when it looks like the tariffs might be lifted, but then they're not and the phones fall silent again and all the decisions that leaves for a wine grape grower and a wine maker to make and then work out what they're going to do if they're going to try and export it. That's Central Victorian wine grower Jody Marsh speaking there with Eden Hennenen. Uh, we'll move away from wine. Let's talk grain for a few moments here on the country. Our harvest is really just days, if not hours away, for northwest grain growers who are anticipating above-average yields. Ron Hard's farms at Werrimal near, near Millowa. He says uh, while there have been extended dry, dry periods this growing season, uh, rain has fallen so far at the right times. Yeah, well, it's been a funny year. Um, you know, we had, a, we had a reasonable start and then it dried right out. You know, May was, May was very dry. And then June was probably the wettest June that we've ever had in the Mellower. So, um, you know, those that had their crops in, um, they certainly benefited from that. And anything that went in later was, uh, yeah, well, it, uh, it was June and um, you expect what you get, you know, after, after then. But, uh, look, I think they're all going to be acceptable anyway. Even the later crops look like they're going to finish okay and um, they were still green enough to pick up the rain that we got a week or so ago. And, uh, yeah, it all it looks pretty promising. 
And that rain that we got, Ron, how much did you get? And um, um, was it timely or was it a bit late for some of your crops? Yeah, probably. It was probably a week late because we had, we had those two stinking hot days uh, in the week prior. Um, and uh, that knocked the crops around a little bit. But look, I think they've recovered reasonably well. And um, uh, we had from 12 and a half to, to 17 mil on our farm. And as it went east, um, you know, Mildura had forty odd mil out of that one. So, yeah, it was a it was a very timely rain for a lot of the a lot of the district, I would say. Have you got a sense of what yields you might expect? Uh, yeah, look, I think they'll be above average yields. Um, the earlier crops, in particular, yeah, I, I, you know, there could be there could be three ton barley crops around easily enough, and um, and the wheat, well, you know, somewhere in the two to three ton, I think, too, possibly. So. Um, to the hectare, uh, you know, that's that's pretty acceptable and certainly above average. So um, we'll take what we get. Um, legumes are not quite as good as last year. The lentils aren't quite as good as they were last year, but, um, yeah, the price is up a bit, so that'll compensate, I suppose. Any hay at your place, Ron? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, we got some in before before the rain, Um but it's been uh, it's been the waiting game since the rain. We've had lousy weather and um, yeah, slight, you know, little light showers going through yesterday and today, um, and that's that slowed up the process. So we've got about we've got all our oats left in the paddock, um, and um, and one paddock of edge still to go. So uh, we're looking for a bit of nice warm weather to get that done. I know there was a fair bit of disease around last year with the wet weather, pretty unusual for your part of the world. How about this season? Yeah, well, I think there's still an underlying, there's obviously underlying uh, disease there. Um, you know, I think everybody, everybody would have sprayed for rust again this year because of, well, mainly because of what happened last year, but also um, to protect the crops from, from the, you know, there would have been a lot of, lot of spores still around, the rust spores still around and the, uh, you know, we just had to had to get in and protect it because it's a, you know, for a, a very small outlay, you can you can lose a lot of uh, a lot of income. So you've just got to protect it at that critical time. When do you reckon you might make a start on harvest? Oh, I reckon it could be another ten days to two weeks, depending a bit on the weather. Checked the barley yesterday, and it's it's still got green patches here and there. Um, so you know, you've really got to wait for that until most well, most or all of it goes. So uh, yes, so we'll be we'll be uh, chomping at the bit by the time it gets there. But anyway, um, you know, usually the third week in October is the normal start time. So it doesn't look as going to be much different to normal, Angus. And Ron, obviously you're in well the driest part of the state. Really, it must be nice to be uh, stringing together a, a few good seasons. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, last year was a, a standout. Um, you know, there was 18 inches of rain for the year and. You know, it wasn't the wettest year we've ever had, but it was still it was still all very timely. And, and uh, um, you know, the, the spring was, was really good. This year, as I said, has been a little bit patchy, but I think most people have got a reasonable a reasonable chance of getting there, you know, pretty fair yield. So, um, yeah, it'll be good to get a couple of good ones. And looking ahead, the, the general expectation is that we're in for drier times, so I'm sure people wanting to put away what they can while they can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was quite ironical, wasn't it? They uh, they finally declared an El Nino, and uh, within a couple of days of them doing that, it, uh, you know, was one of the best rain Victorias ever had in the spring. So, um, you know, I'm not sure how much credit to take of 
of weather forecasts, but uh, uh, I suppose there's a there's a bit of a there's a bit of an idea what's going to happen. But uh, long range, I just don't know that. Yeah, we we've got to farm to conditions, uh, Angus, and um, we farm to moisture, and uh, we'll continue to do that, whether it be dry or wet. And uh, you know, I think we've had success over the last twenty odd years, uh, sowing by the calendar and take what comes. So you know, we'll probably do the same unless it's extraordinary. So don't make any big decisions based on long term outlooks. I don't think we can, Angus. I think you know, I think a lot of people got got caught out this year and. Uh, um, you know, there was quite a lot of articles in the paper last week about uh, how the forecast was so wrong and um, it's for such a lot of areas and people have destocked and sold off, uh, you know, multitudes of stock and, and, and that's basically forced the price down. The, the, you know, the, the meatworks couldn't handle it. And, um, and, you know, they've lost a lot of money by it. And same with, uh, you know, if you didn't sell a crop uh, this year, um, you know, it's going to end up pretty good. So... You know, you can't really take too much notice of of it. You, I suppose you hold it in the back of your mind and, and think about it, but you certainly don't make big decisions on it. That's Millua farmer Ron Hards speaking there with Angus Verley and a bit of extra cropping news. Uh, Rabobank uh, forecasting that Australian crop volumes will fall by 24% uh, this year on last, so from 64 million tonnes down to, to 49 million tonnes uh, saying crop totals are down in, in all states in terms of size except for Victoria. Victoria expected to have a crop of a similar size to last year. Market time here on the Country Hour. We'll start with the cattle markets first today, I think, and go to Brendan Fletcher, who's at Lean, Cath- Lean Gather. G'day, Brendan. G'day, Warwick. There were 260 fewer at 700, with most of the usual buyers operating selectively in a mixed market. Quality declined with fewer prime cattle and a larger proportion of cows. Young cattle sold to firm demand. They were cheaper in places in line with quality. Bullocks sold firm. Manufacturing steers lifted 15. Heavy cows improved slightly, while lighter weights gained 10 to 20. Heavy bulls lifted 15 to 20 in line with a lift in quality. Vealers, 210 to 300 cents. Yearling trade steers, 220 to 302. The heifers, 166 to 2. 50. Grown steers and bullocks 222 to 255. Heavy Friesian steers 156 to 199. Crossbreds 173 to 232. Most light and medium weight cows 100 to 148. Heavyweights 138 to 185. Heavy bulls 175 to 244. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Brendan. Let's go to the sheep and lamb markets now and go to Hamilton first up. Take it away, Chris Agnew. Thanks, Warwick. A small offering at Hamilton today consisted of 1,200 lambs and 580 sheep. Whilst it was smallest offering this year, the yarding was of most of good quality with fewer tail-end lambs on offer. The sheep offering was mostly crossbred ewes, with most weights and grades covered. The market was strong to be 5 to $8 per head dearer, with the fewer lighter weights improving up to $20 per head. Very good trade lambs, 18 to 26, making between 400 and 480 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Top lambs this week, $140. Light 12 to 16 kg lambs, 41 to $50. Trade lambs, 18 to 22, 71 to 99. And the medium trades, 22 to 26, 95 to 134. 
Sheep remain firm with the heavy crossbred ewes to the tops of $29 per head. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agner reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Let's head to Horsham Sheep and Lambs to finish our market journey today. We'll go to Graham Pymer. Graham. Good afternoon, everyone. Lamb numbers eased a little and sheep supply doubled with overall numbers at 13,500. Quality was mostly good over the young lambs. The usual buying group operating in a dearer market. On the quality trade weight, snacks were heavy young lambs. Other lambs sold firm. Medium and heavy trade weight young lambs sold from 112 to 149. The heavy weights from 157 to $187. Old lambs sold from 60 to a top of 158. Merino lambs, mostly lighter weights from 40 to 75. Restockers and feeders paid from 31 to 84. With more sheep yarded, quality improved with some big runs offered. Bidding was subdued with prices easing on last week. Merino ewes made to 43, heavy crossbred ewes to 39. Light trade weight lambs sold from 95 to 122 to average 520. Medium trade weights from 112 to 136, they've averaged 520. The export weight lambs from 136 to 155 to also average 520. The medium sheep sold from 15.25, they've averaged 90 cents. Grant Palmer at Horsham from LA. Thank you very much for that, Graeme. Just before we finish up on the Country Hour today, a couple more of your texts that are coming in. We were speaking about property prices. Uh, what was the beautiful word from the analyst? Uh, what did they say? It's an inflection point in the market with the volume of farmland sales dropping to a 28-year low as uh, it tries to find a new mar- a new base after strong growth in property prices from the years before. This text has come in saying, property prices dropping? Uh, you should sell the real estate agents here in Benella. Grazing property sold four years ago and it's now for sale for more than double what was paid then. I can't make enough to cover that. Regards disillusioned wannabe purchaser. I love love that text sign-off. Thank you very much for sending in that text. Even if you are disillusioned, it is good information to have. Thanks for sending it through. In regards to the weather, Macca had a thought coming in on that, saying, Warwick, with with all the inquiries you're getting from farmers, etc., about rain after last year and this year, it's nice to have some dry, warmer weather. Whoever wants the rain can have it. I'll send it their way. Says Macca, you're Dalesford way, aren't you, Macca? Uh, you have probably had a wet couple of years, uh, but people need moisture at different times, don't they? So thank you very much for sending it through all the same. And I love this one. This is probably where we'll f- finish the country hour uh, this uh, lunchtime. Good morning or afternoon, Warwick. Uh, I just want to say a big thank you to you and all of Country Hour Victoria. I'm currently living in Queensland and grateful to be able to listen to the hour after listening to your program yesterday about pears. I went shopping today and purchased some. I loved them as a kid. I'm going to try what you were saying yesterday, which you've missed it, is uh, buy pears, leave them for a couple of days, then go and eat them. They're not right when you buy them from supermarket. Uh, it goes on to say, it's always great to hear the news, especially from down south as we come from Warrnambool uh, and have been up here for eight years in Queensland now. Cheers, love listening, says Sue and Rod Thomas. Uh, have a great time, Sue and Rod Thomas. Thank you very much for sending that through. Much appreciated to get that text. Have a great afternoon, the rest of you.